How's everyone doing today? We feeling good? Hey, I got a question for us real quick. The nine o'clock, nine o'clock was really into it. And in terms of they were, that had some energy. Is the 1030 going to bring some energy today? Can I, can I count on you guys? Hey, and it's, it's not, it's not for me. It's for Jesus, right? It's, it's for, it's always for Jesus. But I'm excited to be with you all again today. This week is week three of our discipleship series called Designed for Discipleship. And over the last two weeks, we've been going through the series. We've been talking about a lot of things. We're really talking about what does discipleship entail? What does it look like? And we've been diving into a lot of different ideas and different truths about Jesus' teaching, his words, and his ways. And if you've been around this church long enough, you know that our mission is multiplying churches and multiplying disciples. We make disciples who make disciples. We plant churches that plant churches. And we've been looking at what Jesus says and the Bible says about discipleship over the last two weeks. And we're, we're going to continue that conversation today. And in week one, we asked and answered the question, why is Jesus worth following? And what we saw was that Jesus wasn't just another rabbi. Jesus wasn't just another rabbi who, who was calling the best of the best. He didn't care about people's past. He didn't call the people who were just trying to get their lives together that had it already all figured out. See, what we found out is that Jesus isn't in the business of calling the qualified. He's in the business of qualifying the called. And because we choose a life with Jesus, we are the ones that are called. And because we choose a life with Christ devoted to discipleship for what he did first for us, then a life of discipleship must be our act of obedience because of what he first did for us on the cross. And then last week, we began to uncover what it looks like to live a life of discipleship. We saw that discipleship involves learning the words, the ways, and the teachings of Jesus. That discipleship is living out our faith. We introduced another Greek word for disciple last week. That word was mentano, which means to learn as a disciple. It sounds Italian. To come and know the word, know the will in God through Jesus' teaching. And then some commentary went on to say this coming to know or this learning is not a mere intellectual process, but the acceptance of Christ himself along with rejection of the old existence and beginning of a new life of discipleship in him. And then we addressed two truths about discipleship last week, if you remember those. Number one, the first truth of discipleship is there is a cost of discipleship. And we looked at a few examples of the cost that it's going to cost us to follow Jesus as his disciple. But what I love about Jesus is that he does not shy away from the fact that there is a cost to following him. And then the second truth that we uncovered last week is that discipleship must be both educational and experiential. See, we're called to know the playbook. We're also called to be on the field. And then we ended of how to live out our faith. That we were to commit ourselves to immersing ourselves in scripture, commit to prayer and fasting and commit to the local church, being a part of a community, being a part of a body of Christ that can encourage us in our faith. So here's where we've landed over the last two weeks. That Jesus, the son of God, born of a virgin, 
came to earth as fully God and fully human, lived a perfect and sinless life, who sacrificed himself on the cross and rose from the dead three days later, that this gentleman, that God himself, God incarnate, is absolutely worth following and worth devoting our life of discipleship to him. See, discipleship is living out our faith regardless of the cost that it may cost us, no matter the price that we have to pay, because we know that the reward is far greater than any cost, and that reward is producing lasting fruit. So we've covered all that in two weeks, and today our focus is on how discipleship involves helping others become disciples and our activity around making disciples. But what does this mean? What does it mean to make a disciple? And how on earth do we multiply disciples? I'm going to introduce another Greek word that translates to disciple. This is the third word that we've uncovered from Greek or discovered from Greek that translates to disciple. This one is mathetuo. This means to make a disciple. And this term mathetuo, this word was used to indicate the action of causing another to become a disciple. And what better way to answer this question of how to make disciples and to multiply disciples than to look at the great commission found in the gospel of Matthew. Now let me provide some context to the scripture verses that we're going to dive into. The great commission, number one, the great the commissions, there's five of them in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Matthew is the only one that is called the Great Commission. And so we see this is that Jesus, the the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew is the very end of the chapter, chapter 28, starting in verse 18. And what we're going to see in a second here is, is what he commissions us to do. But why is this important? Because think about all that has transpired in the ministry of Jesus from the time he was born to the miracles that he has performed. That he was then arrested, he was tried, he was crucified, he was, he was buried, then he rose again. And then Jesus raises from the, de- from the dead. And just before he ascends into heaven, the very last chapter, and the very last verses in the book of Matthew, he meets with his 11 disciples, minus Judas. So he's talking to his 11 disciples, and he commissions them with this. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I had given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, it's so easy for us to skip over the first portion of the Great Commission because we always want to get to the meat of it. But I want to start us off in verse 18 where it says, I have, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. See, because Jesus fulfilling his mission and defeating the grave, he has been given all power and authority on earth and in heaven. But why is this, why is this important? Look at what Jesus says that is recorded in the book of John. He says, very truly, I tell you, 
Whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So how are we, believers, as Christians, going to do even greater things that Christ was telling us in the book of John? Jesus actually tells us this in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what Jesus says. He goes, but you will receive power. You will do greater things than I. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, through Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's telling us as Christ followers today to act boldly, to be confident, because just as he has given, been given all authority in heaven and on earth, he's telling us that he's giving us authority through the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the message, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. Yeah. Question for you. Have you ever been somewhere with someone that has special access? Case in point, when I'm traveling, if, I, if I'm flying and I go to the airport, because I don't fly that often, I have zero status with any airline available. Does anyone here have like executive platinum status? Awesome. Platinum, gold, any type of status with any airline. See, I like traveling with you. Because when I go to an airport with someone who has status or has the authority or has a little bit of power because of how much they travel and how much they are in an airport, because they have the ability to go into the American Airlines lounge or they have the opportunity to board the plane first to get a little bit extra leg room or to be upgraded. See, I love taking advantage of these perks, but here's what I found out. It's not because of who I am. It's because of who I am with that I have now the power, the access, and authority. It wasn't because of my own doing, but it's because of who I am connected to. So, and because we are connected and following Jesus as his disciples, what we found out in John and in Acts chapter 1 through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ has given us authority and power and access. Just as he says in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And, and because he has given us power and authority through his Holy Spirit, our response should be one of confidence and boldness knowing that it's not because of who we are, but it's because of who he is and what he has done for us and how we can act with boldness to spread the message of Jesus. So now, now we get to the Great Commission. Now we get to verse 19 and 20. And what we see is that verse 19 starts off with the word, therefore. Now we learned this a few weeks ago, but whenever we see the word, therefore, in the Bible, we must ask the question, what is that word therefore? So therefore, and I'm filling in the context here, since I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, and I'm now giving you the same power and authority to spread my word, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's what I love about this scripture. Is all throughout the gospels, we see Jesus teaching in parables. 
And he says specifically to the people that are following him, that those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Those who do not have ears to hear, they did not hear, they did not understand the teachings of Jesus. But this right here, the very last words that Jesus says, he doesn't teach in a parable. He is extremely clear. There's no misunderstanding what he's trying to say in these last sayings. His last words, his commission, his directive to the disciples and to us today is stated by three verbs, three actions that we are to follow until our time on this earth is complete. Jesus says, number one, go. Go, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, baptize. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, teach. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I had given you. First, Jesus says to go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Preface. This verse does not say go and make converts. It says go and make what? Go and make disciples. Let's look at what disciple means. Disciple means learner or pupil, as in the sense of an apprentice. Such a person is more than a convert. Though turning to the Savior in repentance and faith certainly must take place. But disciples do not stop with conversion. They keep moving on with Christ, ever learning more of his grace and glory. See, Jesus doesn't say to just get them saved and that's all we have to do. Jesus is saying to make disciples, make followers of me. See, evangelism, which is sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, is important. And we are called to evangelize, but we are not called to just stop there. Going to the world and telling people about Jesus is important, but it's just the beginning. But we're still called to go. We're still called to go. And the word go is a, is a very missionary word, if you think about it. Go into all the nations. It's a very missionary word. And if you remember, as we were going through the book of Romans, Pastor Zach preached a message in Romans chapter 10, and he focused on 10 verses 14 through 15, talking about missions. And remember what this says. It says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard of him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, we are to go to the world, every nation to proclaim the gospel and the goodness and the message of Jesus Christ. This right here is absolutely a part of this church's DNA. If you've been around here long enough, you know that we operate in a two-bucket giving system. We have our tithes and our offerings. The tithe is one bucket, and our offering is everything that is above and beyond the tithe. That's what we call kingdom builders. And if you participate in an offering, we consider you a kingdom builder. And kingdom builders is what we consider dollars in, dollars out. So we don't use that for any operational activities a part of this church. Kingdom builders funds goes to three areas. Number one, it goes to local church expansion. Number two, it goes to future Christian leaders. And number three, it goes to global missions. So we love having the opportunity to be able to, to, be able to spread the gospel everywhere. 
But we also, through the tithe and offering, we as a church also tithe off of our tithe. What does that mean? For every tithe dollar that, that comes into this church, the first 10% of the time tithe goes directly back out to boots on the ground missionaries. Because we believe that spreading the gospel, that going to all the nations and here locally is an absolute mandate that we must follow. So it's in our DNA. We're serious about missions. And, and man, if, if you have not been on a mission trip, whether it's for a day, whether it's for a weekend, whether it's for a week, my encouragement is find an opportunity to go on a mission trip. Not only because of what it's going to do for the individuals that you are going to witness to, but what it also does for you with the, how the Lord speaks to you and through you at your time in the mission field. So we are absolutely called to go, going to the nations. But the word go also means as you are going. So as you are going about your daily life, as you're going about your job, as you're going about your career, as you're going about raising a family and raising kids, as you're going about getting your degree, as you are living your life, we are also called to go. We're called to go. See, the word evangelism really shouldn't be an intimidating word. I remember when I was so young in my faith, there was said, go and make this out. Well, how do, how do I talk to somebody? How do I talk to people about Jesus? Let me ask all of us a question. If we were all in the mindset right now that we all had, or we had a, a condition or a disease that was incurable, but we were, not, we were known to be a fighter, and we spent every waking moment, every hour, every day figuring out what we needed to do to get rid of this condition, to get rid of this disease, that we didn't take no for an answer. And we found that cure. We were able to understand, we were able to figure out what to do. And then people started noticing a difference in your life. People started, started to ask questions like, man, you got some more color to your face this week. What, what's different about you? And you tell them about your experience. Let me ask you a very simple question. If someone came to you saying that they had the same exact condition or disease that you had that you were able to find a cure for, would you have any trouble at all telling them what you were able to do, telling them your experience? Would you have to make sure that you had a medical degree to go out and tell them about your experience? Would you have to memorize a script or make sure that everything is polished or buttoned up before you approach someone to tell them about your experience? The same thing goes about sharing the love, the grace, and forgiveness about Jesus. It's the same exact thing. Look at what, Matthew, what, Matthew, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He's talking to his disciples. He sends out the 12 disciples and he knows that they're going to encounter some difficulties. He knows what's coming their way. And he tells them this. He says, when you are arrested, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. For it is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. So whether you go on a mission trip or, go about your, or going about your everyday life, my prayer is that we have the boldness and the confidence to open up our mouth, believing that the Lord will give us the right words 
at the right moment to share with the right people what he has done. It's just sharing our story. It's sharing our experience. It's sharing the love, the grace, and the forgiveness of Jesus with other people without thinking that we have to have this conversation with the theological density that we have no idea what we're talking about. It's just simply about sharing our relationship that we have with Jesus with others. So we are absolutely called to go. But we're also called to baptize. It says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So first we're commissioned to go. Then we're commissioned to baptize. Again, these are the final words of Jesus before his ascension into heaven. He's telling us the importance of baptism. But what is baptism? Baptism is an act of obedience that serves as a public statement of faith in Christ. A sign that a person is identifying with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It represents a person's spiritual pledge to turn away from sin and immorality, to die to one's own sinful nature, and with God's help, to be raised up to a new life. In this new life, the believer is completely committed to Christ and his purposes. See, we are to baptize, but we're also called to be baptized in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, baptism is our public declaration that we belong to Jesus and are committed to a life of discipleship with him. Baptism is our response to what Christ has first done for us. First, true repentance, that is turning away from our own rebellious ways, surrendering to God's direction and purpose, and also a personal faith in Christ. Then we get baptized. Can I, can I encourage all of us here today that if you've never been baptized, I mean, you've never been fully immersed in water. I'm not talking about a sprinkling as a baby or a, or a child dedication. I'm talking about if you've, if you've made a personal decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've never made the decision to go public with your faith as an act of obedience, man, can I encourage you to get baptized? It doesn't matter if it's, if it's baptized here or outside here or in, in Lake Norman or in a pond or a hot tub. It doesn't matter where it is, but it's about going public with your faith and being obedient to Christ. And it's one of his final words before he ascended into heaven. Baptize and be baptized. And I'm telling you this. For those of you that have been baptized or maybe you've been a part of a baptism, it's one of the greatest experiences of our lives. Just, just last week, my three-year-old daughter was playing soccer, and her cousin, Addie, is five years old, and she recently wanted to become baptized. And so uh, Pastor Judah and Pastor Jonah's sister was talking to Addison, the five-year-old, about what it means to be baptized. And they started having this conversation just to make sure, hey, are you really ready to be baptized? Do you know what this means? Do you have Jesus in your heart? And so they, they said, uh, Elizabeth was having this conversation with Addison, and She's ready. She knows that she wants to be baptized. But just on, on this past Wednesday, as my daughter was playing soccer, my dad was holding my seventh-month-old daughter, Cora. And Addison comes running over. My dad's holding Cora. And Addison gets really close to Cora's face and starts telling Cora about what it means to be baptized and how that, and how that she is so excited that she's going to be baptized because Jesus lives in her heart and she wants to live with Jesus forever and she wants everyone to know. And that's what we get to be a part of when we embrace the Great Commission. 
We get to go and teach kids. We get to go and teach individuals about the love of Jesus. And we get to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're commissioned. We're directed to baptize. And thirdly, we're called to teach. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. See, this is the lifelong process of sanctification. It's walking through life alongside of others. See, we're commissioned to help other believers grow, to become more mature. And we also must be seeking to continue to mature our own faith. See, the Bible is very clear. The Bible is very clear on the importance of teaching and of learning. And I'm going to go through, I think it's like seven different verses. I'm going to rattle them off really quickly. My encouragement is that you're taking notes. Just write these, write these scriptures down or take a picture on the screen to marinate and meditate on them this coming week. Because the Bible is so, so clear that we are to learn and to teach. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. It says, you have, earned, you have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will also be, who will be able to pass them on to others. See, Paul is training Timothy to train others. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with a discipline, with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. You must warn each other every day, while it is still today, that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we shall share in, among, share in all things belong, that belongs to Christ. And then 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And then we can also, we can quote the entire book of Proverbs. But as we know, Proverbs was written by Solomon, one of the, the wisest men to ever live. And these are just a few examples of how we are called to teach and to learn. Proverbs 13, 20. It says, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. And then Proverbs 15, 22. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. See, reminder from last week that we are absolutely called to be on the field, to live this life of discipleship, and, and it's supposed to be both educational and experiential. Yes, we are to commit ourselves to immersing ourselves in Scripture, committing to prayer and fasting, committing to being part of a community. But we also know there's so much value in having a good coach and so much value in being a coach. Someone that we can learn from, someone that we can count on, someone that we can lean on, and someone that we can go to to hold us accountable. Here's the reality. How many of us have made at some point in our lives a commitment to go to the gym consistently? But if we do not have someone that's willing to hold us accountable how easy is it for us to just get out of that routine because we're trying to hold ourselves accountable? But the truth is this as well, is that if someone is waiting on you, if someone is expecting you to show up at the gym at 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. or whenever you decide to go, 
the likelihood of you actually showing up is so much greater than if you decided to go by yourself. Here's the point of this. Who we are connected to and what we are connected to absolutely matters. We must surround ourselves with people that are going to push us forward. They're going to challenge us in our faith and push us closer to Christ. Maybe you've heard this saying, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. If you are a parent in this room, or maybe if you were growing up, we spend so much time thinking about and praying about who our kids interact with because we absolutely know that if we do not take care and are not careful with who our kids hang around with, we ultimately become who we hang out with. So we have to have people in our lives that are moving us forward, that are urging us closer to Christ, that are keeping us accountable. So here's my question. Who is mentoring you? And who are you mentoring? These relationships, the student and teacher relationship, the mentor and the mentee relationship is an absolute must. And it must start right here and it must start right now, right here in this church. Because let's be real. If we were really honest, a lot of us here today, including myself, it's so easy for us to find a mentor when we're looking for mentorship on our careers, mentorship in how to raise a family, mentorship in how to make more money. I mean, we can follow business gurus and fitness gurus and, and, and uh, real estate gurus. We can follow, we can spend hours and hours and hours thinking about and talking to and listening to these people of how to be successful. But no, and nothing is inherently wrong with that. Look, Paul even tells us in Colossians, he tells us in Colossians, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord rather than for people. See, grinding is not bad. It's necessary to approach everything that we do in life with excellence. But at the same time, we know that we live in a world that is constantly bombarding us with this definition of success, where our focus should be, where our time and attention should be, who we should be listening to, how to keep up with the Joneses, how to actually be somebody in this world. And if we're not careful and we don't take the time to have someone in our corner that's willing to encourage us on in our faith, that it's so easy to then just try to go to the gym by ourselves without an accountability partner. And we'll find ourselves back to where we started because we have no one holding us accountable. Man, we're called to be in relationship with one another. We're called to teach others the ways, the truths, and the teachings of Jesus. And we're also called to be mentored by others. See, I'm passionate about this topic because I know what has happened for me in my life. And I'm sure all of us can relate to this in some way, form, or fashion. That someone at some moment looked at you in the eyes and said, listen, you can keep going forward. You have what it takes. 
I believe in you. I see you. And if no one has done that for you, if I can look every single one of us in the eyes right now and say, look, I, I believe in you. Keep putting one step in front of another, one foot forward. But it can't stop with just this conversation. It can't stop right here. If you've been praying for a Christian mentor to help disciple you, I know this for a fact, that there are people in this church, men and women, that are willing to walk alongside of you through this life of discipleship with Jesus. They're willing, they're able, and they're ready. There are people in this church that have walked down the path, they have gone through the seasons that you are currently going through. But it takes action on our part. See, I heard it like this. We have to work like it depends on us and pray like it depends on God. See, coming here for an hour on a Sunday morning is great. But if we've been praying for someone to encourage us, to be by, to, to, to hold our hands, to walk through difficult seasons of life with, then we've got to take action. There's got to be a portion of us that says, hey, I'm not just going to sit here any longer. I'm going to get involved. Or at the very least, I'm not going to run to the parking lot as soon as we say, see you later, see you next week. If you've been praying for someone to walk alongside of you, if you've been praying for that Christian mentor, take some time in the lobby today. Take some time over the next few weeks to get to know somebody. See, younger generation, we absolutely need you. We need, your, we need your, your energy. We need you to tell us how to reach more people. In more seasoned generation, we absolutely need your wisdom and discernment. So who is mentoring you, but also who are you reaching out to to mentor? Jesus says to teach. Teach my commands to the new disciples. That's you and I. We are the teach. We are to be a mentor and a mentee. So I want to encourage us that we have got to take a stand. We've got to take action to never stop teaching and learning the ways of Jesus. See, we cannot and will not let the message, the truth, the gospel of Jesus stop with this generation. We have work to do, and it takes every single one of us. Church, will you stand with me as we close out today? See, the very last words of Jesus, before he's taking up to heaven to be with his Father, Jesus tells us this, and be sure of this, that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let this be an encouragement. Let this give you a confidence that as we live our life of discipleship, Jesus promises in Matthew 28, verse 20, his very last words on this earth before going to his Father, he promises to always be with you. This means we will always have 
the good shepherd, will always have the light of the world, the bread of life, the vine, the cornerstone, the mediator, the high priest, the lamb of God, the king of kings, the redeemer, the living water, the resurrection of life will always be with us. Church, what would it look like? What would it look like for you? What would it look like for our community? What would it look like for this church to truly embrace the Great Commission by going, by baptizing, and by teaching? See, this can't be a series. This can't be a series where you just look back on and say, man, we learned a couple of great ideas and concepts and truth about discipleship. Because information without application keeps you from transformation. So over the last three weeks, we've heard information. We've dug into this life of discipleship. We understood the cost. We, we know the reward. But until we take the action, until that we truly step out of our comfort zone and meet someone and truly, truly go out and, and fulfill the great commission of going and baptizing and teaching, we have work to do. We have work to do. Let's not be a church that's just a hearer of this word, but let's be a church that's a doer. Let's take action. Church, as we step back into worship today, as we end the series of Designed for Discipleship, I believe with everything in me that you were absolutely designed for discipleship and discipleship with Jesus. So as we step back into worship for a few more moments before we close out today, I would encourage us all just to close our eyes and lift our hands to Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm committing to a life of discipleship. I'm committing to being a mentor and a mentee, to finding someone that's willing to walk through every season of life with me. And Father, I pray right now that as we step back into worship, that this is not just the start, that this is just this beginning of what we're gonna do with you in our corner, with you by my side. So let's step back into the worship, declaring that we are living a life of discipleship with Jesus. Let's worship together.
time after time in every season Church, let me say a prayer over us today. Father, we're so grateful for your faithfulness. Father, thank you for the word over the last three weeks, learning about what you say about discipleship. Thank you for sending your son that we may be able to hear his words, his ways, and his teachings, Father. Father, I pray the stirring in our heart would just be the beginning for us to continue to pursue you, to continue to commit to you. Father, as we go about our ways, as we go about our lives, I pray specifically that you would open up doors, that we would surround ourselves with people that would encourage us. And as we begin to have conversations and we begin to lean into one another, as we begin to hold each other accountable, we can look to you and say, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. And I also want to take a moment before we end this series for anyone here that that may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is the single best decision that you can make in your life. To choose to put Jesus at the center, acknowledging that he is the Lord and Savior of your life, that you want to follow him from this day forward. I would love to say a simple prayer over you. Man, is it simple, but it is so profound. That you would choose to follow Jesus, that you would commit your ways and your life of following him. He wants true relationship with you. Yes, you. I'm speaking to you. If you've been wrestling with Jesus, if you've been wrestling with this, don't let this moment pass of letting today be the day that you commit your life to Jesus. If I can include you in this prayer that I'm going to pray, would you simply just raise your hand up high? If you want to say, Jesus, I'm making you the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm committing to following you. And church, for those that are praying this for the first time, maybe you are rededicating your life back to Jesus, or maybe you're praying this prayer for the very first time. Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for my life. Thank you for choosing me. Father, I choose to commit my ways to you. Thank you for dying for me on that cross. Father, you are the Lord and Savior of my life. Cleanse me of my sins. Make me whole. Help me to live this life fully alive to your love, to your grace, and to your purposes. It's your name that I pray. Amen. Church, can we celebrate those that gave their life to Christ or maybe rededicated their lives to Christ today? Church family, we're grateful for you. What an honor it is to be a part of this church alongside of you. I believe that we have one special community. So as we go about our days, as we go about our weeks, 
let's make sure that we continue to do this, is to love Jesus as we continue to change the world. Because we'll be back here the same time and same place next week, 9 o'clock and 10.30. We're so grateful you have a great rest of your Sunday. Have a great week. We'll see you back here next Sunday. God bless you all. Love you guys.